Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome into the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for about the next hour or so. We've got some good topics to talk about today. I think, you know, with Brandon Bean, Leslie Frazier, and Ken Dorsey also talking to the media, they gave a little bit of an insight of what's going on with the Bills currently. Of course, we have some preseason stuff to talk about around the NFL. I want to touch on some rookie quarterbacks and sort of my opinion on where I think rookies should really start playing, especially the quarterback position. I think most of us agree that, you know, rookies at other positions, if they're good enough, play them. But quarterback has always been a very uh, divisive one. But welcome into the Nightcap here on WGR. Happy Tuesday. Let's jump right into it. Tredavious White. The Bills' all-pro cornerback, recovering from a torn ACL. He recovered last Thanksgiving against the New Orleans Saints, and we are still still waiting for really any information on Tredavious White. We really have not been given much information at all outside of, well, he's recovering. Like, like, we, like That's kind of it. Like We know for a fact that Tredavious White is recovering and that there hasn't been any huge setbacks. I think that if there, you know, there was huge setbacks, I do think they'd be forward about it and they would be honest about it. But up to this point, we really have no idea. This is what we've got, which is he's recovering. When should we expect Tredavious White back? I think that's now becoming an honest question to have because before you could always sort of look at it and go, well, I mean, he hasn't been ruled out for week one, so I'm going to say week one. And that's true. I mean, like, that's the thing. Week one has not been ruled out yet. But by next Thursday, they have to have people either on or off the pup list. And if he's on the pup list, he will miss at least the first four games of the season. And I'm starting to think it's trending in that direction. Because even if he was able to physically perform, this team really, really wants to wait for White to be 110% healthy. That they will not have to worry about him getting hurt. They will not have to worry about him coming in and being maybe only 70% of what he is, 75% of what he is. And I look at the first four months or the first four weeks, excuse me, of the schedule. And it's less than ideal. It is less than ideal to not have your cornerback or your all-pro cornerback starting. You, of course, have the Rams starting out. They have Cooper Cup, who won the Triple Crown in receiving last year. That 
right off the rip. Not not ideal. They add Allen Robinson, maybe one of the most underrated wide receivers in all of football. Not great. Then you get Tennessee, much better. You can deal with Tennessee, I think, quite easily with the with the cornerback room you have. I think they they also probably feel the same way. The Bills, being they, probably feel the exact same way. You have Miami. Not ideal. It's a lot of speed. We saw what Tyreek Hill was able to do with the Bills last playoffs in the AFC Divisional Round with, when he was with the Chiefs. He'll be with Tua this time, so we'll see how that goes. And Baltimore. I think you can absolutely deal with Baltimore without Tredavious White. Now, here's the thing. And here's the thing that I think they have, that the Bills are starting to look at. Number one, can we beat these teams even if our secondary is not perfect? I think three of those four teams, they are definitively saying yes. I think the Rams are like that one team where they're sitting there going, ooh, do we want to get in a shootout when you know maybe our best secondary player is out? Do they want to deal with the weapons that they have, Matthew Stafford, who, and by the way, he may not be 100% healthy. He's had some elbow stuff, so they may be sitting there going, all right, well, we can deal with week one. We can survive week one. I think the Bills can win week one without Tredavious White. I think they can. But it is going to be a fight. It is going to be much more difficult than they'd like to have it. Tennessee, I think they should, I think they should blow Tennessee out. I think Tennessee is, is in for a real, real regression. I think a lot of people at the station and a lot of Buffalo fans also agree that Tennessee is in for a regression. Derrick Henry, his numbers are starting to show that he's starting to decline a bit, that you know, being such a workhorse for that team is not doing well, and that they do need a receiving threat. They hope they have it in Traylon Burks. They obviously added Robert Woods. But A.J. Brown is an elite wide receiver that they got rid of for seemingly no reason. Miami, I'm mm, Miami's interesting. I think their defense is going to take a bit of a step back, and that defense really could never figure out Josh Allen. But that offense is 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 worrying. It it's worrying me. I think there is a slight chance. Not I, I don't want to say slight. I think there's a chance that we split with the Dolphins this year. That finally they're able to get one on us. Not because I think two is a great quarterback. Not even because I think Mike McDaniels is a great head coaching prospect. I have no idea about him. But I think the speed that they have on offense is so, so dangerous that it could really spell doom for the Bills at least once in their two matchups they're going to have this season. And why not it be the one in Miami? Especially early in the season. You'll still have a lot of heat there. It's the end of September. And then Baltimore. I'll be at this game. Um, Baltimore does not scare me. I think Baltimore, I think as a whole, is probably a playoff team in the AFC. I think they match up terribly against the Bills, truthfully. I think they are a terrible, terrible matchup for the Bills. Excuse me, I think the Bills are a terrible, terrible matchup for the Ravens. They have no real serious receiving talent. I think tight ends the Bills are able to do pretty well against. Not named Travis Kelsey, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer, maybe one of the best tight ends of all time. And then their secondary is getting better, it's getting healthier. I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up with a track meet that is the Bills, especially when the Bills have gotten much, much better at run defense and have always handled the Lamar Jackson offenses well. And the two matchups they've had against them, they've handled him well. They've, they've gone one and one, but really the first matchup was Josh's second year and they were still trying to figure out their passing game. And they and it was down to the wire there. John Brown runs a better route into the end zone. That's a tied game going into overtime. So I've, I have no idea how 
the the Ravens are really going to deal with the Bills this time, especially with, well, I think they're a good team. I also think it's a bit of a toxic situation there that I think could boil over quite quickly. But so that's the first month. That's if, if Tredavious White's put up on put up on the pop list, he's going to miss at least those games. Then you also get Pittsburgh and Kansas City before going into your week seven bye. I think we're looking more at Tredavious White coming back during Pittsburgh or during that week with going up against Pittsburgh. I just he has to get some sort of practice time before week one. They're not just going to throw him out there. I could see it where he's activated and they slowly bring him along and they really do ride out Dane Jackson and the rookies in Elam and Benford, along with, of course, Teron Johnson in the nickel. And then, you know, they have the stalwarts in Hyde and Poyer at the safety position. I could see a scenario where that is being done. Absolutely could see a scenario where that's how they do it and they're just like, all right, he's playing because we think he'll be ready by week two, but... You know, we, we don't want to put him on the pup list because we think he'll be ready then. We just, you know, week one's kind of pushing it, but he'll play like limited minutes. He'll dress, but not really do much. I could see that. I could see him being, you know, not necessarily healthy and active, but an inactive week one just because it's like he's not there yet. But we're feeling comfortable about, you know, next week. But I'm starting to get a little worried where I thought there was a potential that he played week one, that, you know, we weren't getting any bad updates and we weren't getting any updates in the sense of, yeah, like he's out for week one. Like there wasn't anything like definitive there. It seemed it seemingly felt like the Bills had some confidence there. And, and then Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reported a few weeks ago too that he thought that Tredavious White, from what he was hearing, was going to be back sooner rather than later. But I'm just not I'm not sure anymore. I thought we'd get a Tredavious White update today in terms of is he practicing? Is he not? We haven't yet. At least not from Leslie Frazier or from Brandon Bean. So it, I'm not saying it's concerning. I don't think there, he's all of a sudden had a huge setback or anything like that. He tore his ACL in week 11. Most years, he wouldn't be back till week 11. But with the early stretch that the Bills have, I think they can definitely deal with his loss, especially the team has what feels like a ton of confidence in Dane Jackson. And then the young rookie corners have not done anything where I think that they're disasters, that, oh boy, if you throw them out there, it's going to be a nightmare. But I do want Tredavious White back, honestly, even probably for the Pittsburgh game. I, I George Pickens looks like he could be a stud. And that defense is still, it's frustrating to play that Pittsburgh defense. Well, I think the Bills are maybe the most loaded team in, in football, not named, you know, the Chargers or the, Ra- or the 49ers. It's still one of those situations where, but I, I want all my best guys there. Because I do think the Bills are going for the number one overall seed in the AFC. I think they should go for the one seed in the AFC. I think they'd be foolish not to. Because ultimately, with that, it, it it allows guys to get healthier. We've seen the last two years that injuries, while they don't play a massive role in the Bills' season, they clearly do play a role. They're not losing guys to season-ending injuries before the season even starts. They're not Baltimore where it's like, wow, you have literally no running backs anymore. You, your cornerback depth has been butchered by a bunch of torn ACLs and MCLs. What are you even going to do? We're not. It's not that. But in 2020, with both Diggs and Beasley having serious knocks and just almost limping through the playoffs without us really even knowing, and that causing some issues, especially in that AFC Championship game where Beasley and Diggs seemingly couldn't get any separation at all 
And the offense that was you know dynamite for much of the year was just shut down. They they could not get the ball moving. They couldn't put the ball in the end zone. They played a little scared, at least coaching-wise and, and some playing-wise. And they clearly look like a team that were not ready. And then the next year, Tredavious White goes down on Thanksgiving. And, you know, Nate Geary has talked about it a lot this week as, you know, he was somebody that last year said, well, the season's over. And the season ultimately was not over. They played one of the greatest football games you're ever going to see in the AFC Divisional Round, and they had one of the greatest performances in a playoff game in the wild card round against the Patriots. But not having Tredavious White did play a role in that Divisional Round game. It absolutely played a role in that game. Him not being there, Levi Wallace instead being what seemed like, you know, cornerback one, it played a role. Was it a definitive, like, well, they lost because Tredavious White's not there? No. But I've kind of come around to the opinion that if Tredavious White was playing that day, the Bills win. Because I think he would have been able to come up with one or two more stops that the Chiefs defense throughout the year showed they could not come up with. And so I think this is where the Bills are at now is of why like they're loading up on not just cornerback depth, but even wide receivers. And the fact that Khalil Shakir and Isaiah Hodgins looking so good in the preseason and throughout camp gives me a lot of confidence with this team because now in weeks you know 10 through 18 those guys can get more reps to keep the stars and the veterans healthy to keep everyone as healthy as you can be I think that should really be a goal of this team this year is not only to win and I think games like the Jacksonville game last year really showed that you can't take any you know opponent off obviously but to stay healthy it's why they've added so many depth pieces to the offensive line because they saw what happened last year when they played Jacksonville. It was a disaster because the offensive line was just gutted due to injuries and illnesses that they couldn't keep up with one of the worst teams in the NFL just because no one was blocking. Everyone was in incorrect spots and it was just it was it was a bad look. It was a really really bad look. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. 
Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. And so I do think we could be looking at around a week five, week six return for Tredavious White. Because, of course, the reports are still saying it's sooner rather than later. But I think a lot of that may have been coming from, well, he was hurt week 11 last year. We expect him back before week 11. But the Bills have been very hush on the idea of him even playing week one. Now, uh, that's the thing, too. Tredavious White plays a position that he needs to be able to trust his lower body. He needs to be able to trust the fact that it, it won't happen again. That, I mean, that's a lot of the recovery from these muscle tears and these and these muscle injuries is really trusting your body to move the way it used to. It's a huge thing. Not the same position, but a similar, or, or well, you know, similar player in terms of their status on the team. Joe Burrow last year looked awful for most of training camp. He was able to come back to training camp. He, he participated, I think, in most of it. Never played in a preseason game, but he was in most of training camp, and he looked awful. He looked off. He didn't look, look comfortable. The whole thing. Every Cincinnati writer was like, "I don't know what's wrong with Joe Burrow. This looks terrible." A lot of it was him getting comfortable back in his own body of playing at full speed, even though he did tear his ACL. A player, I think, that has never really gotten over his ACL injury is Carson Wentz. That what made Wentz so dangerous was that he was sort of the prototype version of, of Josh Allen. 6'5", was alarmingly faster than he should have been in a cannon of an arm. Now, Josh, I think, is stronger, faster, and he is just taller than Carson Wentz, but it seemingly was the prototype to that. And I don't think he ever got over his torn ACL that he suffered near the end of that season against the Rams. So for me, I'm willing to wait on Trey. I know we've seen videos of him jumping around and seemingly doing little drills here and there, and that's but that's not too surprising. I'm willing to wait until he is comfortable in his own body. He is comfortable to go at 100%. Because ultimately what the Bills did this year was they drafted a high-end player in Kair Elam. Not in the second or third or fourth round, in the first round. And then they drafted another guy with seemingly high potential and a high floor in Christian Benford. They also trust Dane Jackson and they have a great nickel game with Teron Johnson. I think they do trust their secondary. I think they believe that they have upgraded from the AFC Divisional round. And I think that's key there. I think they think they have upgraded from the AFC Divisional Round, and I would agree with that. I think Levi had his moments that he was great, and other times you knew the, why the team was always seemingly trying to find a, a new second cornerback. I think with the guy, with his upside of Kyer Elam, they will be able to steady the ship until Trey is back. But for me... I think that's probably week five or week six against Pittsburgh and Kansas City, respectively. Because I do think they can get through. And, and, and this is ultimately just the schedule worked out this way. They, you know, This wasn't something that they picked a first-round guy because of the schedule or they didn't, you know, whatever it is. This is just the schedule I think works out well that they can handle you know, a few blows here and there. The Rams, Tennessee, Miami, Baltimore. That's your first four weeks. I think they should win all four of those games. If you ask me to pick the Bills right now, I think they're 4-0 there. I think the Rams give them the toughest fight, but I think the Rams, I think there is a bit of a Super Bowl hangover thing, especially with the fact that the Rams, I don't think were the best team in their own conference. I think Tampa Bay was last year, and it took somewhat of a just a historically bad performance by Tampa in that first half, and then LA still almost lost it, and LA almost lost every single one 
of their playoff games last year. They really had to fight and claw every single time to win them. It really, except the, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, they were clearly the better team. And also, I don't know how much of a home field advantage they're actually going to have. I'm not saying that the Bills are going to sell out half the stadium. But I think it's more or less like the, I don't know if Rams fans are going to be this brutal fan base to play in front of, especially when the Bills have performed at some of their highest levels in environments like Foxborough and Kansas City. I don't really think LA is going to be this, oh man, this is this is too much for us. They're really coming after us. No, LA has never really been like that city. I'd have more fear if like this was in Kansas City and it's like, oh crap. All right, we're going to have to deal with, you know, rowdy. Missouri, Kansas City fans, and I don't I don't really want to deal with that. I'm now not even afraid of Arrowhead because of how I've seen this team perform at Arrowhead twice last season. They were 1-1, one and, one and they really should have been 2-0. So I'm not really worried about Arrowhead. I'm not really worried about most home field advantages that the Bills will have to go into. But especially not with, like, L.A. I'm not worried about that in the slightest. And I think the Bills should handle them. Tennessee, I've said it already, I think they're in for a major regression. I think they're going to get ready to move off Tannehill by the end of this year and are going to go into what is going to be perceived as a soft rebuild. I think it could very quickly turn into a hard rebuild. The Miami Dolphins, I'm really not sold on Mike McDaniel, and I'm really not sold on this whole Tua PR campaign that they're doing where he's all of a sudden the most accurate and throws the most catchable ball in NFL history. It all feels so fake to me. It feels so fake and disingenuous. And as someone that was not a Tua fan coming out of college, I feel bad for him. He has seemingly been put in like this awful situation where his team has to just keep blowing smoke. And he's probably just sitting there going, guys, like, just let me play quarterback. But he has to have Tyreek Hill, which and I, I do actually do want to talk about that probably next segment of like Kansas City receivers being like really bitter towards the Kansas City Chiefs when they leave. It's very weird. But Tyreek Hill is maybe the most obviously notable um example of this of just talking up to and I'd rather catch footballs from Tua because he throws like an easier pass and like you know the spirals better and it's a catchable ball like what is going on here it all feels fake and it all feels disingenuous Noah Ibanagani there I think they took him in the second round I want to say in 2020 he's a disaster at corner I like I like Xavier Howard I like nothing else in their secondary I like nothing else in their secondary. And now that Brian Flores is gone, I do wonder how that defense looks this year. I really do. And then their offensive line is not much better. It's really not. It's okay. It's not one of the league's worst. But it's not much better. It's it's still kind of garbage. And you have Von Miller. Greg Rousseau clearly looks like he's taking a step forward this year. Ed Oliver is consistently taking steps forward. I think they beat Miami. And then Baltimore. I've said it. I think Baltimore looks at the Bills as a terrible matchup, and they should. It's not necessarily because I think Lamar's a bad quarterback. I've been open and said that I think he's just getting not the right coaching. But then you add in the fact that even with the Bills sort of, not I won't even say mangled secondary, but you know less than 100% secondary, what receiving threats do they have? Nate said it today too. Them, I'm pressing at the line 24-7 because who, who's, who's there to scare me? Double up Mark Andrews, and what do they do? You're going to hope one of their rookie tight ends pops off? It could be. Always a potential. I think against a Sean McDermott-Leslie Frazier defense, less than likely. Gus Edwards is not even going to be on the roster to start the year. He's going to start on the pup list. So they're, you know, with J.K. Dobbins is going to be their main back. And then Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, I think, really is going to start Kenny Pickett. That'll be the topic of 
the next segment I want to talk a little bit about rookie quarterbacks, but just, just, just you know, spoil it a little bit. I think Kenny Pickett is absolutely going to start for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think Mitch Trubisky has just not done enough to fend off the rookie, who has looked pretty good, has not looked lost at all. But even then, a, a, a rookie quarterback against a Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier defense, I don't, I don't put a lot of weight in that for him to do well, and it's in Buffalo. Early enough in the year where the weather really shouldn't have too much of a factor, I think that game could go pretty south pretty fast. Davis Mills was one of the best rookie quarterbacks last year, and the Bills made him look like a fifth-round pick. And he was a third-round pick. They made him look atrocious. And then you add in the fact that the Steelers' offensive line might be the worst in football, to the point where a lot of Pittsburgh writers, including Andrew Filipponi, who used to work here, being worried, like a huge Kenny Pickett fan, but talked about Chris Sims today, noting that even he, as much as he likes Kenny Pickett, is worried about the offensive line and throwing him behind that. I don't think it's going to change much going into Week 5. The Bills could be 5-0 and going into that Kansas City game and not have had Tredavious White yet, because I think they match up really well with the rest of the teams. The Rams, to me, are really that team that I look at and go, okay, that could be a loss. That that one could could not go well. They have two all-pro receivers te- but you know, potentially there that could really spell doom for the Bills secondary. But with you know the safety tandem that they have back there, Tehran in the nickel, and him really going to be you know a major factor dealing with Cooper Cup, I think they could really be able to handle the Rams and definitely could be 5-0 and before they even need Tredavious White back or before Tredavious White's even back. And I think if that's what's happening, you are in for a good season, I think. Tredavious White comes back 110%. He's healthy. He feels comfortable in his own body, I think. You've gotten the rookies a good amount of playing time against some good teams, against some good receivers. And then as well, you're building in the other rookies as well. You're building in a roster that is deep and that will be able to deal with a few nicks and bruises they're going to get throughout the season. And some of those have really cost the Bills desperately late in the season around the playoffs. We'll take a quick timeout and we come back. I want to jump into the rookie quarterback discussion because I think every single one of these rookie quarterbacks, the major rookie quarterbacks that were drafted this year, should be starting week one for their teams. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Zach Jones along with you for about the next half hour or so. And for uh, the next segment, I kind of want to talk about rookie quarterbacks. Because last night I was watching a little bit of the Atlanta Falcons-New York Jets game. And not, not you know, anything serious. I mean, I kind of threw it on. I was checking it out a little bit. And I do like Desmond Ritter. So I wanted to see him play a little bit. And he looked really good. Last week, not so much. He was, I think, under 50% completion percentage. But he did have two touchdowns. But he's, he looked really good last night. Kenny Pickett has been really a storyline to follow for Pittsburgh because it seems like Mitch Trubisky got that job the moment he signed his contract. And since they've drafted Kenny Pickett, it has very much been spiraling far more towards it's Kenny Pickett's job to have. Now, I tweeted out, what are some of your reasons to not start a rookie quarterback? Not in fantasy, but in an actual game. What are some of your reasons why you think a team should not start a rookie quarterback? One of them I got here from a boy named Sue. He tweeted in, not ready. I don't want to destroy his confidence before they're prepared. Then uh, Noah also tweeted in, maybe cliche, but nerves is a big reason. 
And those to me, and I knew I'd probably get those two responses, and that's us getting connected to our fans, brought to you by the law firm of Gelbert and O'Connell. They take your personal injury cases personally. Thank you for those tweets. And and the reason why I tweeted it out, because I knew I'd get around those two responses. It's confidence and then it's own personal nerves. It's the fan base being a little nervous about, ooh, I don't know about starting a rookie. We're coming off of what a lot of people think is one of the worst quarterback draft classes we've had in a few years. Not all time, but just in a few years. We've only had one guy picked in the first round. That's Kenny Pickett out of Pitt going to Pittsburgh. And then after that, it was guys like Desmond Ritter, uh, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, and Matt Corral kind of falling throughout the draft. Now, Matt Corral, his season is over with. He will be recovering from... A, a leg fracture, I cannot think of the word right now, and I know I can't pronounce it, so even if I look it up, it's not going to happen. But he's out for the season. But I guess my point is, especially especially with this group, why not play all of the rookie quarterbacks that were drafted? Or at least the guys from rounds one to, like, four. Because what are you gaining if you don't? And that's always been my opinion for a lot of rookie quarterbacks, almost all of them. What are you gaining if you don't? Usually nothing. Now, sometimes you gain, you know, Patrick Mahomes. His second year didn't play really at all his first year. He goes out there, throws 50 touchdown passes. But most Chiefs players would tell you that they thought he could have done that his rookie year. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know how much his second year changed or his his first year into the first offseason changed to where he would have been a disaster 250 touchdown passes. I don't know how much would have changed his rookie year probably would have had well over 25 touchdown passes, and the Chiefs likely still make the playoffs like they did with Alex Smith. The Bills didn't initially want to play Josh Allen, but he ends up playing his rookie it's the first game. They bench Nathan Peterman, and he's in basically from the rest of the way, except when he got hurt. Now a lot of these rookie quarterbacks will comment that you know it took them kind of getting hurt to sit back and kind of see everything. And that's a fair excuse where it's like, ah, eh, some of these guys really do need to kind of, you know, take a step back. And actually, that's where I sort of find myself in the idea of I'm not against benching a rookie quarterback for a few games. Because I get far more out of these guys being honest about, yeah, after taking some live bullets, I had to sit down for a few weeks. And it always, for these guys, takes an injury to do that. Why are we so nervous about benching a rookie quarterback? Is it does it really shatter their confidence? But probably, potentially. But if a coach is honest and just saying, hey, all right, you saw a few shots, we've played a few games, now let's sit back. Now you're gonna watch a few. Because ultimately the quarterback should always be treated differently than basically everyone else on the roster. That's where I'm at. They should always be treated differently than everybody else on the roster because if you nail that pick, everyone's life is easier. But if a quarterback is not drooling all over themselves, if they clearly aren't fumbling every call in the huddle or at the line of scrimmage, if they can make the throws, if they can make a few plays with their legs, why hold them back? And I'm saying this with guys like Desmond Ritter last night, who looked pretty solid. Kenny Pickett has looked really good. Kenny Pickett is, I, I think, kind of like the reasoning I wanted to talk about this, and then Ritter and Howell and even Willis are kind of like on a different spectrum here that we're going to get to. But with Pickett especially, the game doesn't look fast at all to him. It looks like he's just comfortable playing. And there will be games where he looks bad. 
and there will be games where he looks really, really good. I'd much rather take those licks, constantly critique slash talk about the good things they did. You, you, I think every team should have a quarterback coach who can just go in, film room, and really dissect it. Because we've gotten now to a point in the NFL and the drafting process that it's almost too much information coming at these teams. It really is like too much information coming at these teams about every single player. Where before it was your physical traits, and then if you wanted to do your due diligence about a player's personality, I guess you could. That's why guys like Ryan Leaf and Jeff George were as highly picked as they were. Because no one really cared about the person. Not nearly that much. Where now, it almost seems to be 50-50. What's your mental makeup? And along with that, a lot of these quarterbacks, some are outliers, Josh Allen, but a lot of them are groomed to answer media questions, to deal with this stuff, to deal with the mental hurdles that comes with being a professional quarterback or even a high-end college quarterback. Some teams will always kind of screw this up and just go back to you know the 80s and early 90s idea of drafting. That's why Johnny Manziel was a first-round pick. But most have gotten pretty good at it. Arizona drafted Josh Rosen. He clearly doesn't have the mental makeup to play this game. They moved off, to him, off him after one year. And other teams have tried to give him a shot, but no one really serious. And it's never been one of those things where it's a ton of wondering. Fans wonder, but NFL teams aren't. So for me, I do wonder why, when you draft a rookie quarterback, why not just play him? If the game is truly not fast enough, or is truly not too fast for them, if they are clearly able to get the play out, if they're able to actually just play the game of football, why not play them? Kenny Pickett will offer the Pittsburgh Steelers far more than Mitch Trubisky ever does. He may lose them some games that Mitch Trubisky wouldn't have, but I don't think that number's obnoxiously high. I think they're probably around the same quarterback right now. And along with that, I think Kenny Pickett's upside, just being a rookie, just the idea that teams don't have enough film on him at the NFL level, will win them maybe a game or two that Mitch Trubisky would not have. And then going to the other guys, the not first-round picks. Desmond Ritter, why are you playing Marcus Mariota in Atlanta? This was brought up with Shoban the Bulldog with Bulldog and Nate Geary earlier today. Why are you playing Marcus Mariota? I think Nate said it perfectly. He's Tyrod Taylor. He's going to win you a few games that Atlanta really shouldn't be worrying about winning. You are in the hardest of rebuilds you could be in. But what if you find out Desmond Ritter's got something? That, oh, okay, this is like the new Dak Prescott. Prescott was a fourth-round pick. Dallas really took him, I think, as like a long-term replacement to Tony Romo, but nowhere near on the short term. He came in. He's one of the better rookie quarterbacks we've seen in a long time. What if Ritter comes in and looks pretty solid? Now, all of a sudden, that probably second or third overall pick can be used as one of the top edge rushers in the draft because now that's becoming a position that is always at the high end of the draft and is becoming almost as much of a hit as wide receivers at the high end of the draft. Washington, Sam Howell. What are we doing with the constant Carson Wentz experiment? I'm somebody that almost convinced myself that Carson Wentz could be something good last week. But I think at this point, we're at a, those years in Philadelphia are, are long gone now. Try out Sam Howell. He offers more athletically. 
and his deep ball is gorgeous, and you have one of the best deep ball receivers in Terry McLaurin. Try it out. See what happens. Who cares if you're not a good team? Then you can be at one of the top picks in next year's quarterback class. What is the point of drafting these quarterbacks if you have no real intention of ever having them start games, any serious games? Now, with Carolina, they drafted Matt Corral, but they didn't have Baker Mayfield yet at that point. That was them very much realizing Matt Corral's probably going to get some playing time. I fully believe Matt Corral, until that Baker Mayfield trade came in, was going to get some playing time. Fully believed it. Tennessee with Malik Willis. I thought Malik Willis could have gone in the first round. I thought he could have gone to Detroit at number two overall. He was a player that a lot of people just did not have a, a good read on where he could wind up. But he winds up with Tennessee in the third round. What's the point of trotting out Ryan Tannehill again? You've had the number one overall seed. You've had years where it looks like you could be the surprise team, and it's just never meant anything. Like they, the, the Tennessee Titans have completely stagnated. Well, they stagnated, I think, last year. This year, now they're in for a big regression. What, what's the point? Yes, you're paying Tannehill a ton of money, but if you bench him and just get rid of him after this year, who cares? You're ultimately going into a rebuild anyways. Everyone can see it. I think a lot of NFL teams don't want to admit that they're in a rebuild. I think that's where a lot of this comes from. But then you have stories like Houston last year where they played Davis Mills and it was an absolute success. Now he's their starting quarterback this year. Now the Tennessee uh, Houston Texans can likely find good pieces throughout the draft because they don't have to use a quarterback pick early, early in the draft likely. And quarterbacks, let's say Desmond Ritter's just a fine quarterback. He's solid, but he's clearly above. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. His draft, you know, pedigree of a fourth-round pick, third-round pick. And he looks pretty darn good. You could trade him. But if there's no film on him, who cares? No one's really going to trade for that. But every NFL franchise gets a little quarterback giddy at some point where they're willing to trade far more than they should for a quarterback. Right now, Jimmy Garoppolo can't find a team. By this time next year, if Jimmy Garoppolo is on the trade trade market, he would absolutely find a team in minutes. Because teams every year find out, he's not our guy, we got to move on. He's not our guy, we got to move on. There's like three or four every year. If you get Desmond Ritter serious playing time this year, and he looks fine, but not great. But you can kind of tell, yeah, he's not he's not our guy for the future. We got the second overall pick. We're gonna take CJ Stroud. You could trade Ritter for another third round pick, and you're the Atlanta Falcons, and you are hemorrhaging for talent. I only see positives to, to playing most of these guys when you're not even on a good team. Pittsburgh, I think, could be a solid team, and I think Pickett is just playing better. I think he should play for that reason. But for some of these middling guys who just got drafted, you know, willy-nilly, and all right, we'll see what happens there, but are on bad teams, what is the point of trotting out a maybe guy or likely a bad guy rather than trying out the rookie? 
maybe this is naive of me, but I like to think that some of these owners are not dumb enough to think that every single year their team is competitive enough to win a Super Bowl. There's no way Atlanta's owner thinks this team is going to win a Super Bowl this year. There's no way. So why try out Marcus Mariota? To give a false sense of security to fans that, oh, we're still trying. We're still out there trying our best to win every single game. Why? Most fans now, especially with how much draft coverage the NFL pumps out every single offseason, knows it's probably better to be bad to get a great quarterback and then start building, or at least have some foundational pieces, get a quarterback, and then really start building forward. Washington. They're going to do this dance again next year when Carson Wentz likely is bad. Instead of giving Sam Howell any sort of reps to see what they've got there. And it's not like these guys have looked bad. Malik Willis has flashed his potential. I've already talked Ritter has looked really good, especially last night. He was making some good throws. And Howell has far more athleticism than any other quarterback on Washington's roster. A roster that I don't think is that bad. But their quarterback position, their quarterback depth is so bad, it doesn't mean anything. Why not give it a shot? See what happens. Because if you don't, you're just spinning in circles. I said it last year, or I, I said it recently with the Chicago Bears seemingly not being ready for a rookie quarterback when they drafted Justin Fields. But I think a lot of that also came from the fact that the team seemingly actively fought against having a rookie quarterback. Matt Nagy was so desperate to play Andy Dalton that he formulated his whole offense around Andy Dalton and then never changed a thing for Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence last year with the disaster that was Urban Meyer had to compete for first round or for first team reps most of camp. Why? What's the point in, in doing any of this? A lot of fans would be far more interested in watching any rookie quarterback play instead of a random guy that we picked up in free agency that we're going to trot out there and lie to everyone and say we're going to try our best to win every single football game. Who cares? Atlanta fans will check out of the season around November and start watching heavy C.J. Stroud tape in games. Or Bryce Young. Or Will Levis. Or Scott Van Dyke, excuse me, Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami. But if you trot out a rookie there, at least every week is sort of this, well, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I was kind of like this with Nathan Peterman with the Bills. We all know the Peterman experiment went. It was not great. But I was with the idea of, well, let's see what we got. The passing game is averaging like 90 yards a game. Let's see what happens. Do we have to use a pick on a quarterback? You got to find out. You have to know eventually. But with these teams that want to lie and and kind of dance around the idea of, well, we're rebuilding. I don't understand that. I never understood that line of thinking because you're just wasting time. You're likely going to waste a full year instead of just getting down to the nitty gritty and working the rebuild, getting down to business. I've said this with the Giants, Brian Dable and, and Joe Shane are now over there from the Bills. They've gone to the Giants. And Daniel Jones looks solid. But if I were them, I would just have traded or moved off of Daniel Jones. Made it a real and true quarterback competition and see who wins it. Because ultimately, if I'm them, I'm not building around Daniel Jones. I'm building around a rookie I drafted in the first round this year. 
because you know what you have. And that's ultimately the big part here now as well. These rookie quarterbacks don't need to sit a year anymore. If anything, I need to know what I have in a rookie by a year and a half. Because if I don't, I'm just spinning in circles. The Green Bay Packers with Jordan Love still up to this point have no idea what they have. You need to know what you have in a rookie quarterback in a year and a half. And you have to hope that there's no injuries that derail finding out what you have in that time frame. The best thing that happened to the Jets this year was, yes, Zach Wilson avoiding a torn ACL. You know why it's the best thing? It'll let you know exactly what you have in him. He may miss week one. Probably will. But then by week eight or nine this year, you will know exactly what you have in Wilson. How much did he actually improve? And that's a big thing with Josh Allen, too. Was he great in year two? No. But he vastly improved from the year prior. If Zach Wilson does not vastly improve by the middle of year two, you can move off him. But if we constantly are sitting here waiting for rookie quarterbacks and and waiting to give them starting jobs, you will never find out what you have. And if you do that, again, you're just spinning in circles, never getting to where you want to get to. Because the NFL now especially, if you're in the NFC, really especially, you need an elite quarterback. Because if you get one in the NFC, you get a young elite quarterback, you can dominate that conference for a decade. And in the AFC, you need an elite quarterback just to compete, just to get to the playoffs. So why waste time trotting out some random free agent you grabbed off the street just to act competitive when everyone knows you're not? We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show here on Tuesday. This is the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap here on WGR. Quick final segment here as we wrap up a Tuesday night. I just want to mention Kevin Durant real quick. I don't know if you've kept up on the news. Kevin Durant today and the Brooklyn Nets sort of announced that all that trade stuff that was going on is over. You know, Kevin Durant like demanding that the GM and head coach be fired, wanting out. It's a mess. And then to end it all, it's just, all right, he's going to play here. And no one got fired, and uh, he's still signed here for four years. I just... What is going on there? I think there's also a certain point that like you become too talented to actually be like a tradable asset that just no NBA team can rightfully afford you effectively. Like they like they cannot trade you in good conscience of like even having a competitive team anymore. That you're going to get traded to one of the worst teams now in NBA in the NBA or in any sport really. And this was all pointless because you're going to be just as mad in about 15 minutes as you were back there. But it was just so awkward. Like, it never felt like he was ever going to get traded because effectively that. Everyone was saying that the cover of this was who has the, the capital to trade for him? Who has the players that can do this without absolutely butchering their own team? It's just very weird. I like the NBA. I love watching it. I love the playoffs, but Kevin Durant has always been a fascinating player for me to kind of watch and see what he does, and not always for very good reasons, and oftentimes for quite bad reasons. And it's stuff like this where you're just sitting there, just eyebrow raised, going, what are you doing? I just, what is happening here? But we'll see how Brooklyn goes. They have Ben Simmons. They have Kyrie Irving. 
on paper, they're a very talented team, and basically on court, they're not. They're never on the court together. But we'll see how it goes. That's going to do it here on the Nightcap on WGR. Thanks for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with Bulldog and Nate Geary starting at 3. And, of course, I'll be back here tomorrow night starting at 7. Thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your night. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.